the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. the Nick D podcast. Hello. I'm your host Nick DeGilio. It's episode 149 of the Nick D podcast here at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the greatest podcast network on the planet that is now a streaming service. That's right. We've expanded. You can hear the Radio Misfits 24/7 non-stop as a streaming service. You know, it's like a radio. It's like a radio station, except it's all technology, and it's streaming, and you can hear it any single time, and it's free 24-7, radiomisfits.live, radiomisfits.live. If you're listening to me on this right now, on radiomisfits.live, good for you. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Get on board, baby, because it's rolling, a streaming service 24-7. You can hear incredible unsigned and unheard music from the Unheard Music Show. You can hear episodes of some of the best podcasts available in the world, all part of Radio Misfits. And you can hear this podcast and my other podcast uh, streaming 24-7 on radiomisfits.live. This podcast is the Nick T Podcast. You can hear it daily at 3 p.m. Central. And you can hear my other podcast. That show hasn't been funny in years, my SNL podcast. You can hear that daily at 9 a.m. Central. So this podcast at 3 p.m., the SNL podcast at 9 a.m. every single day as part of 24 hours of streaming podcasts, music, and incredible entertainment at radiomisfits.live, which is part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And all of the podcasts, this one included, available on every single platform. Please take the time to rate, review us, subscribe, spread the word, like us, all that cool stuff. You want to advertise on this podcast, the Nick D Podcast? It's a real popular podcast. You should advertise. Be a sponsor right now. Contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Want to be a part of the Nick D Podcast by leaving a voicemail or leaving a request for the Magic Megaphone? You know all about the Magic Megaphone. We take those requests and we honor them. So uh, leave a voicemail 24-7. Again, anytime you want, we encourage the feedback. We want to hear from you. We play back a lot of the voicemails that we get here. I listen to all of them. I read all the emails, read some of those on the air. So you will be a part of the podcast. Be a part of it. 773-417-6948. Send those voicemails now. Do the email thing as well. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. That'll reach both of my podcasts as well. All right, on this episode of the Nick D Podcast, Dan Feinberg, who was off uh, a week uh, ago. Normally, he joins us on that every other week thing, but we had our For the People uh, episode. So Dan is back. And in between that, we've had a couple of really big series finales, some uh, crazy stuff happening on television, some new shows. The Tony Awards were given out, and uh, we will talk about that broadcast and preview some other stuff that he's reviewing for The Hollywood Reporter. Dan Feinberg, the greatest film uh, TV critic in the world, will be joining us momentarily. And then Esmeralda Leon will join me. She's my partner. We got a megaphone message request. Again, anything you want me to say into the megaphone, play a scene from a movie, tell a joke, give a message to someone, make it particularly yours, you will be a part of this podcast. 
Leave your megaphone message requests with. We've got one of those. My dad's going to stop by and tell a joke because it's Tuesday and that's what he does. And we're going to continue talking about things that nobody remembers that big stars were in. And the big stars themselves would kind of like to forget about it. So we got a bunch of those coming up too. That's all here on the podcast. Again, you can check us out uh, and check out my uh, my SNL podcast, the um, the new SNL podcast. Uh, it's not really new now. We're about uh, 22 episodes deep into it right now. It's a weekly podcast that drops every Wednesday, and it is all about Saturday Night Live. It's the best Saturday Night Live podcast that you can possibly find. I am an expert. I've been watching SNL since the very first episode in 1975, and I'm not kidding. Um, and I've got a ridiculous amount of knowledge, and uh, I do all kinds of really fun stuff with it with the podcast, uh, going back and looking at specific episodes and specific sketches and whole seasons and cast members and all kinds of stuff. Michael Longfellow, who is a current cast member, joined me on the last episode, and it was a great interview. If you've not checked that one out, you should. And you should subscribe right now, spread the word, and get on board with the SNL podcast. It's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast, and it's available right here at RadioMisfits.com and live streaming every morning at 9 a.m., on radiomisfits.live. So get on board, get all that cool stuff in there. My thanks to Jason Skaggs uh, for doing all the sounds and my main man, Ed, for taking care of business and everything else at radiomisfits.com and radiomisfits.live. So, and I also want to thank this lovely young lady. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. She's always on the back porch. Always, always making t-shirts, hanging out. She's the best. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. All right, I know you do. All right, Esmeralda Leon coming up a little bit later. We got some voicemails and some emails and uh, a megaphone request. It's going to be a fun, awesome podcast episode. Thank you for checking us out. Please subscribe. Subscribe to my SNL podcast. And uh, SNL, you know, is on TV. See how I'm segueing there? I'm segueing into a TV topic. See how I did that right there? I'm a professional fucking broadcaster. Don't mess with me. Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter and The Fine Print is going to talk TV with me right after I tell you that you should indeed be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff. Somewhere else, of course, is L.A., Los Angeles, California, or Hollywood, if you will, because he does write for The Hollywood Reporter. But, of course, if you write for The Hollywood Reporter, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to live in Hollywood, right, Dan? You don't have to live in Hollywood if you write for The Hollywood Reporter, do you? I, I do not, in fact, live in Hollywood. I live on the west side, so, uh, uh, so, so yes. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all Hollywood to me. <laughs> That's or Dan something. Feinberg. Dan Feinberg is our TV expert, joins us every other week to talk TV uh, and all kinds of cool stuff. You can also check him out at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. That's how it's spelled, at The Fine Print. Uh, welcome, Dan. Always a pleasure, Nick. Always a pleasure on my end as well. 
Um, speaking of the Hollywood Reporter, you do do a podcast, um, and I want you to tell everybody about the podcast that people can listen to. It drops sure. every Friday, correct? Indeed. Uh, drops every Friday. It is TV's Top 5. I host it with my colleague, Leslie Goldberg. We cover the week's television news. Lately, that has meant a, a heavy dominance of labor strife and whatnot. And we also do interviews and I do uh, reviews at the end of every episode. This week's podcast coming out on Friday will feature a a reunion of 14 of the writers from the uh, beloved ABC comedy Happy Endings. Uh, yeah. So so we'll see how that goes. It's um, basically it was inspired by one of the writers from the show, uh, Sierra Teller Ornelas, who uh, some people will know as the creator of Rutherford Falls on Peacock, which aired for two seasons. Uh, she did a, a Twitter thread right at the very, very beginning of this of the strike, where basically the thesis was this was a show that had a gigantic writer's room. And over the course of three seasons, they had, I believe the the figures they were going with was roughly 23 writers at different Whoa. points. Um, and never Whoa. like as many as 17 at a time, but oh, 23 man. total. Holy cow. But the part that was most interesting about the Twitter thread was that she mentioned that subsequently, like 21 of them have gone on to become showrunners themselves. And her point was, this was an opportunity that trained all of us to do this thing and to do this very unique thing. And if studios and networks and whatever are making smaller and smaller writers rooms are preventing writers from going on set of their television shows are, are, you know, eliminating spots for low level writers on staff. We lose out on these kind of proving grounds. And so we had just basically an hour and 40 minute conversation with 14 different people, including the show's creator, David Casp and a bunch of the other writers and showrunners on the show, just talking about, what they did right on happy endings that allowed it to be that kind of positive Petri dish. It's a really good conversation. It's going to drop wow. on Friday. That sounds great. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. It's, and it's a, it's a nerdy conversation. It's not a haha. Remember that funny time when Alex ate ribs on happy endings, right. uh, though I believe the ribs eating scene is mentioned in passing. It's <laughs> really, it's, it's really a, this is why these things that the writers are striking for are important. Here's why it's important to us. Here's the environment we created. That was a good one. And that's great. So, yeah. That's a, that's also a really unique and original angle to take on. I mean, cause how, you know, how much can you write about the writer strike when you're not getting any news? You know it, what I mean? is, <laughs> it is it is a definite struggle and it's a struggle that we've been having on the podcast we've had a kind of strange and and not random because they're all connected in in some ways assortment of guests with connections to the strike so we had one of the uh one of the chief negotiators for the writers guild uh, chris kaiser who you know in his in his other time has been the creator of shows like party of five but for the purposes of this conversation it was all about the strike we had warren light who is a award-winning playwright and longtime show runner of various things in the law and order franchise and we talked with him about the way that the east coast approach of the the picket lines and the strikes uh, strikers has been to halt production on shows which has been a a very particular new york based version of the strike and so yeah we've we've been trying to come up with different ways of approaching the topic uh rather than just well they're still on strike and the AMPTP is not negotiating which is actually the reality of the situation Right. Well, 
I'll be looking forward to that. Uh, TV's top five on Friday. Um, make sure you uh, check that out as well. And everywhere at the Hollywood Reporter and at the Fine Print F-I-E-N. And uh, the writer's strike obviously still continues. Nothing really new is happening as we've uh, discussed. But things are happening while the writers are on strike. And one of those things happened to be an award show. Now, the Tonys um, was broadcast last, well, <laughs> technically last night, but while you're listening to this two nights ago. Um, and was now, is this the first award show ever to go on during a writer's strike? It's the, I mean, no is the simple answer. And the MTV, whatever the MTV awards were oh, a couple the, weeks ago, the, film, they, the movie and TV awards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they did a kind of hybrid. Here are the things that we, that we had already filmed here, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and then obviously in the past in different writer's strikes, there have been some music award shows and that kind of thing, but th- this was a very specific thing. And it was a, a very specific thing because the Tony organizers, the, the theater, the, whatever the, the, the organization that gives the Tonys, right. they attempted to get a waiver from the WGA to just have the show go on as scheduled. And the waiver was rejected. The, the WGA made it clear. We, we simply can't start giving out, waivers the minute we start doing that then you know we're not hurt (laughs) we're not we're not causing the hurt to the industry that we want to right but then there was a pause because and you know you know this obviously with the chicago theater scene and it's the same everywhere the tonys are essential to theater and just starting at broad starting on broadway where they allow shows that would not exist or not stay open to stay open then they allow for visibility for shows that will eventually go on tours and touring companies are another lifeblood of the industry and then all of these plays that will then go into repertory around the country the the tonys are essential to that and so basically the compromise that they were able to come to was uh there will be no writing on the show. There will be no monologues, no written bits, none of that. And in exchange, or as the compromise, um, basically the WGA said, we won't pick at the event, which means people could actually attend the event. And so that was that was what the compromise was. And it made for an interesting telecast, I would say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I always maintain that of all the award shows every year, uh, you know, and it goes it goes up and down. But for the most part, I can always count on the on the Tonys for being. I personally think the best award show of the year. Um, it's always my favorite. I I love watching the Tonys. You know, uh, I love theater. I I think I I wish that they would concentrate a little bit more on like actual like plays and not so much on musicals. But I understand that they want to grab people and make people watch and all that kind of stuff. And, and I understand that you do that with big musical numbers and the musical numbers are great. And last night was, you know, it was tremendous, I thought, and, and what they did and how they handled it. And, you know, a lot of, it generated a lot of interest on my part, uh, you know, to, to, to see these shows if they, you know, if I ever get to New York, which is not going to happen anytime soon, or, um, or if they tour, which I think is the point. Um, and, and I thought, uh, I thought the show, despite the fact of not having a writer, having any writers, I think some people might've, what, what was the feedback that you got? Cause I think some people were like, we don't need writers on these shows <laughs> and <laughs> after, I think, after and last I, night. And I think that will be kind of the mistaken feeling that some people will ha- come away yeah. having. Yeah. And you know, that's people, people will always draw the wrong conclusions from everything. 
there was the one year that the Oscars didn't have a host and they actually worked perfectly well. And so everyone's like, "Ooh, we don't need hosts anymore. And suddenly every subsequent award show for two years didn't have a host and most of them sucked. And yep. so people just learned the wrong lessons. The lesson of the Tonys is not that award shows don't need writers. It was that the Tonys in particular are less beholden to things like a monologue or things like bringing people out and doing funny little routines and whatever, because they don't need them because the Tonys have so much stuff going on. There's, you know, you've got all of those musical number performances, whether it's, uh, you know, just, just a dozen different musical performances, but then you've also got the fact that the Tonys do, and this is, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about the Tonys, they always do extensive clip packages for all of the acting nominees. And yep. uh, and that's a great thing, because, again, these are ways that you these are the only ways that some people will have any visibility for some of these shows. It's a show that has so much happening that, no, it doesn't need people to come out and present and do little funny bits uh, because there's so much happening in the show. Mm -hmm. And also, it's a show that really and truly the people who win Tonys are more grateful than so many of the people who win yeah. Oscars or whatever. Yep. It, it's, it's, it, you know, ideally that's what it would be. It would be, here are 12 performances from your musicals and here are speeches. That's all, that's all anyone watches them for. And they're not the highest rated award show. They're a fairly low rated award show, but the people who watch are the people who then eventually spend money on seeing these things elsewhere. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, the the lesson should not be that no one needs writers on award shows. It should be that the Tonys were no worse for not having dumb little bits, right. uh, having having Ariana DeBose, who is just an amazingly dynamic performer. Absolutely. That that allowed basically instead of doing an opening musical number or an opening monologue, she she did an opening dance number, and because she is. Uh, a spectacular dancer. She was on, I believe, season six of So You Think You Can Dance. Uh, she was just able to be front and center dancing. She then finished, immediately went into an explanation of why this night was different. She was out of breath, and you, you could see the effort that she put into doing the opening number, which was incredibly dynamic. Yep. And then the show just went off from there, and, and it didn't require the bits and pieces because what it had was song and dance and fantastic performances. You know, and uh, I want to get into what you, you know, you thought specifically of the show uh, in, in, in specifics, but I also thought it was really interesting that the show, uh, despite the fact that they didn't have writers, that they didn't write bits that uh, for the most part, you know, people, you know, like the, the presenters weren't even introduced. The presenters came out and introduced themselves. You saw their names up on the, up on the screen above the, above the stage um, and, and for the most part, they didn't do any bits. I mean, Nathan Lane came out and had to crack wise because he's Nathan Lane, and that's fine. Um, so they did a little bit of a bit. For the most part, though, it was they came out, they introduced themselves, they introduced the nominees, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and yet, uh, they still were very strict. They cut people off during the uh, during the acceptance speeches, and they went about I don't know thirty seconds long. Um, <laughs> And even with no writing, even with no bits, it's again proof that like award shows just go long, even when they don't have writers. 
And and I think that probably they could have found a way to get those 30 seconds trimmed. I don't think that would have been a <laughs> I don't think that would have yeah. been an impossibility. But absolutely the the credits began rolling at at uh at, let's say 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Pacific, etc. So basically right on on schedule. And as you say, the people who are inherently or naturally funny got up and tried cracking a little bit. And yeah, whatever. It wasn't it wasn't necessary. I don't think we gained much from Nathan Lane being funny. But if someone is inherently funny in a spotlight, you can't tell them not to at least try. Uh, but yeah, and, and look, I don't. I, I would have. I would have gladly trimmed one or two of the performances if it had allowed some of the people towards the end of the show who got played off not to be. Yeah. But you know, and I could. I could name the. I could name the performances that I would have cut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which which ones would those be, Nick? Well, the Anne Juliet and the Neil Diamond thing. I would have just cut those completely. I, I don't. These these. And you mentioned it in your review. I do not understand the. The, the people's love and fascination with these jukebox shows. I just, I don't get it. You can go to Six Flags and see the same damn thing. I don't, I don't understand it. We've got the Michael Jackson thing is opening downtown here in Chicago. I don't get it. I won't go. I don't care. Those <laughs> things, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, they just do not appeal. It's not my thing, man. And, and if they were going to cut anything, those, you know, you know, you pointed out, it was fun to watch Jessica Chastain sing along to Sweet Caroline, but do we really need to hear Sweet Caroline? Do I really... No, I don't. <laughs> I'm I'm with you, and I didn't think it was a particularly good vocal rendition no. of Sweet Caroline either. <laughs> no. it, it was no. sort of it was sort of subpar Neil Diamond karaoke, so I didn't yeah. need that. <laughs> but what but what I'll say there is that that was timed at a very specific point in the ceremony when it really did kind of raise the energy level when it needed to be. So I'll I'll give it whatever okay. that credit is, and and fine. I mean, yes. Uh, those two were easily the things that were least interesting to me of the of the performances. I just would have liked for, for example, for the whichever producer it was of Leopoldstadt who got cut off. There yeah. were a number of people yeah. right at the end. And again, yeah. as we talk all the time, that's how all of these shows go is that you is that you have. You have a host who does a thing at the beginning and then they gradually vanish. That's how it goes. You have a couple great speeches at the beginning where the director's like, ah, we're just going to let them go and they'll talk for five minutes if they want right, to. Right. And then at around midway through the show, the director looks at their watch and goes, oh, okay, well, I guess we have to actually start enforcing. And so right. it happens with every show. I, I still think even um, cutting people off, they were still giving people longer than your typical Oscars Emmys yeah. speech allows. Yeah. So there's yeah. that. Uh, just, it, it would have been my preference to give those people a couple more seconds slash minutes, but still it was, it was a good and lively show. And, and this was a year where I happened to have other than seeing Leopold shot in London when it opened in 2020. So the same production, but none of the same cast, I hadn't seen any of these shows and now I would like to go to New York and, see whatever's still there. Yeah, no, there's stuff that I, there's, you know, there are definitely things that I would love to, I would love to, uh, to see. I'm a, I happen to be a huge Tom Stoppard fan and, and I would love to see, I mean, what did you think of that production you saw? I thought it was, I thought it was very, very good. And, uh, and it's, it will, it will, it will tour, you know, there's, there's no question that you will at some point get a Chicago production of Leopoldstadt and right. it will, it will play, it will play very well because the Chicago acting community is a, a, 
great acting community. You will be able to find people to play those roles. I can't necessarily say the same thing for what happens when it gets around to Los Angeles, but uh, whatever. Right. No, it's but but it's yeah. it's worth seeing, and it's and it's a it's a big and very ambitious in a stop partying way uh, yeah. production. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. well, uh, the show itself, the Tonys itself, highlights for you. Um, I mean, some pretty amazing moments that happened. Historical historic moments happened last night. Uh, and the night before last, um, and and the and some of those speeches were really really great. I happen to be, um, well, go ahead and give some of the highlights, some of the historic things that happened, and we'll discuss that. Well, there were the uh, the first two openly non-binary performers, and you obviously have to say openly or put some proviso in front of it because fifty years ago, rest assured, somebody would have said, you know, in a in a different societal moment people would have identified as non-binary at the time. It just was not part of the vo- yeah. of the vocabulary, but Absolutely. it was still very exciting for uh, uh, Jay Harrison uh, Gee, who won for Some Like It Hot, and Alex Newell, who, of course, we we love on this podcast from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so very, very good to see them win. Uh, yeah, th- those, those were probably the highlights of the... Of the winners, I think that, um, I, you know, I, th- I thought I'm really looking forward at some point in my life to seeing Kimberly Akimbo, which won the uh, musical of the year. And I thought that was a great performance. And I thought the speeches from the winners for that Absolutely. Were, all, were all super. Um, agree, agree. I, I thought that Shucked was the kind of thing where I, when I heard about it, my reaction was that it, it sounded, and, you know, I hate to, I'm fine, I'm just going to say it, it sounded corny, whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Apologies. That's all right. But, you wrote that. You wrote that. You wrote that in your in your review. So I, yes, I yeah. surely did. It was nothing. I'm, I have I have no pride. But I thought uh, that. But the you're perform- not the only. But Dan, you're not the only one. Oh. Everybody referred to it as corny afterwards. No I've question been I've been led to believe that the jokes are all in the musical as well. Because yes, basically of course they any corn related pun pops up in the musical. Yeah. Uh, but so I was. I, I thought that looked good. I thought. Yeah, mostly, mostly I just enjoyed seeing all of this stuff. And I uh, lament that as much as I love so much about Los Angeles, that the the theater scene just is really not is just not there. And so as as people who know me know, I, I often try to get to London to try seeing like five shows in four days. And I probably need to do something similar with New York sometime in the near future, because there's there's just too much good stuff out there to to miss out on so much of it. Mm hmm. Now, how did you feel about some of the ways, like, like for instance, I uh, the Julianne Hoff and uh, Ariana DeBose dance that um, that led into the Lifetime Achievement Awards? Did you find it strange that they didn't that they that they didn't speak? It's it's a choice because of no, course sorry, they did. Uh, so John Kander, I'm sorry, John Kander and Joel Gray. I should have mentioned. Yes, they, yes, yes. Sorry, it's it's a choice because they did speak it was just all in the hour pre-show that was on pluto tv as opposed to on cbs so it wasn't like they didn't get the opportunity just for some reason somebody thought leaving two of the greatest icons in theater history off the stage in the main telecast was a good idea in the same way that the oscars (laughs) keep consistently you know two years ago People decided that no one really needed to see Samuel L. Jackson get a Lifetime Achievement Award. Last year, they decided, eh, no one would really care if Michael J. Fox received a uh, an honorary yeah. Oscar. And so instead, those things just weren't in the telecast. And and similarly, would I have treated, uh, you know, do I like watching Ariana DeBose and Julianne Huff dance? Yes, I do. Would I have rather seen 
a brief speech from John Kander and Joel Gray, yes. But again, you you sort of have to if you're producing the telecast, you have to think, okay, what is what what point in the show are we at and what are audiences going to be in need of? And somebody decided that what audiences were going to be in need of was a little bit of energetic dancing for a couple minutes and yeah, I I'd, I'd have rather gotten the speeches, but that's just that's just serious minded me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was, a, I mean, I, you know, and, I, and like I said before, you know, I always, I always, the Tonys to me are always my favorite award show because like they're really well done. And, and I, I happen to be a huge fan of theater and, and uh, you know, it's, I just, they're always, they always knock it out of the park and everybody seems just so thrilled to be there. Like the, the, the there's so much support. Like I love the, the backstage cameras when someone would come off after, like when the group would come off after performing a number and everybody would be back there just like cheering them on. I love that. And that's like, that's how supportive a lot of the, you know, a lot of the theaters communities are in this world, you know, where like people are walking off stage and they're just, you know, like everybody is so happy to be on that stage and performing. And that bleeds through when you're watching it at home, you know? It absolutely does. And it's, it's also always part of the reason why I like the smaller awards at the Oscars and and why people got offended two years ago when a lot of the technical awards were shifted uh, out of the main telecast or trimmed within the telecast. And so, but look, I understand that there are viewers at home who get bored when the winners of the short film or the short documentary subject Oscar get up there and talk. My feeling is always those are the people who for this, this is greatest moment of their entire life give those people that moment and i feel the same with so many of the things with the tonys you know some years you really do get a bunch of movie stars winning tonys and it's like okay hey let's give denzel washington a tony this year and there's obviously nothing wrong with that and obviously again for the the sake of the theater community having denzel washington on broadway will always be of good course. for business of course but still uh, i will I will always find it more pure and true to itself when someone like Victoria Clark for Kimberly Akimbo wins. You know, she's a she's a multiple Tony winner. Most non-theater fans couldn't pick her out of a lineup and and just her in that moment is so is so great. So And it was my favorite speech of the night. I mean, I thought I it was my favorite speech of the night. Uh, I thought it it nailed everything it needed to nail. It was funny and uh and it was a and it's and she's a pro and making a joke about how old she was, you know, that kind of thing. I thought it was very funny. I just thought it was it was wonderful, you know. So so many of the people that the the body positivity speech that Bonnie Milligan yep. gave yep. Yep. uh and Brandon Uranowitz and Miriam Silverman are both just theater pros and yep. and so getting them in that spotlight for this moment they're the people who who allow broadway to go along you know your denzel yeah. washington's and whatever they might goose the ticket sales and heaven yeah. knows you need people like that of course but but these these people who appear in two to three shows a year and and just have this that's that's their job they're they're not really trying to eventually become movie stars or to get their own TV series. They would like to do two to three plays a year and appear in a law and order episode. And that is their there life. You go, yeah. And so having that spotlight <laughs> yeah. is just a good thing. Well, and on a personal note, I, I was lucky enough to actually see one of the Tony winners on stage. Okay. So who, who, who this year? Cause I know you've had in past years, friends uh, who have won and no, stuff this, like that. well, my friend, my friend, I was by the way, texting back and forth with my, my friend, uh, Tony winner, uh, and director of a band's visit, uh, David Cromer. <laughs> we were, uh, we were talking, uh, no, I saw Sean Hayes in Goodnight Oscar at the Goodman. Ah, okay. Um, last year. 
tremendous. <laughs> I mean, tremendous performance. So. And I, like, I have to, and and look, I, I've heard pretty much unanimously that he's spectacular in it. The, yeah. You know, so the, the Tonys are extremely progressive. There, there was still the strange optics yeah. of Sean yeah. Hayes winning as as these four African-American stars <laughs> just sat there going, well, I guess it was nice that there was diversity yeah. in the nominations. <laughs> I know, I know. And, I, and, and listen, trust me, I was like, ah, you know, like it was very weird. But having seen him give that performance, it's a, you know, it's a great performance. I, it's a great I, have, performance. I have, I have no doubt, and I, and I missed out on Wendell Pierce in Death of a Salesman uh, yeah. by like a week on a London mm. trip because that that production originated in London, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I would have loved to have seen that. I bet you he was pretty damn good in that. I, I and I've no heard, question. And I've no. heard great things about Corey Hawkins and uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen the second in Top yeah. Dog Underdog. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yep. I, the only the only bit of Wendell Pierce's uh, performance that I've seen is that video, that viral video of the idiot uh, screaming in the middle of the theater. <laughs> that's the only. That's the only. That's the only that may not be. No, uh, I don't think that's indicative of. <laughs> no. Well, overall, I thought I thought the Tonys it was great, and they did a magnificent job, despite the fact uh, that they didn't have writers. And I thought they did a great job of representing and supporting the writers throughout the show, which was important. Absolutely. There were, there were, I mean, obviously there were all the writers who had their WGA pins and several people who made specific, yep. we stand with the WGA, we're a union family, et cetera. And, and that was great. And, but then there were also all of the, uh, trans messages, yeah. which are just extremely important at this moment. Yeah. So, you know, look, the, the, do the Tonys and their politics align generally with my politics? Yes, they do. So, yes, of course they do. So, yeah. Yeah. So great stuff. And again, uh, Ariana DeBose is fantastic. I just love her. I think she's great. And I'm glad that she's having these moments. This It's not just a moment. It's going to be moments for a long time to come. I think for she's sure. phenomenal. She's phenomenal. So great job on the Tonys. Really great and uh, very entertaining. And like you, uh, Dan, while I was watching it, I was like, damn, I got to see these shows. And, and, I, you know, and I happen to love Sweeney Todd. Uh, oh, for and, sure. And it's one of my favorites. I didn't know that the that little bastard from Stranger Things was in it until uh, until last night. Uh, I, I had no he, idea. I was he, like, wait a minute. He is indeed no. And and I yeah. I always I always love a, a good Sweeney Todd. I saw a production in London like seven or eight years ago with Imelda Staunton. Uh, in, oh man! And, and, she, and she was she was just outrageously good, and oh. and I, and I would love to see Anna Lee Ashford oh. in, in that role. Of course, well. so she I'm sure she kills. No, no I, pun intended. No though, pun intended. And though I was disappointed that the scene that they showed that they decided to present was the intro to the musical. I know which gave yeah. which gave the ensemble a chance to perform, but still, it was not enough Josh Groban, and it was zero Anna Lee Ashford. I know. And so I that know. was I a. Thought- I felt An the odd same choice. Way. But there was, and I did go, hey, that's the little bastard from Stranger Things, because I didn't know he was in it. That is so. indeed Dustin Matarazzo, and, and there he was. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. So we enjoyed the Tony. All right. Uh, we, you know, last week um, was normally when we would talk, but uh, it fell on the first Tuesday of the month, and that's when I do my For the People uh, episode. So we had to bush you back a, month, a, a week. Uh, so we were not able to be very timely on this, but briefly, the HBO finales, the series finales of both Barry and Succession happened two Sundays ago. Um, your thoughts? I have to say that, and I have to say regretfully, that the finale of Barry has not has not aged all that well in my mind. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily know why for some reason it just didn't it hasn't stuck as much as i would have liked it to i liked i liked it i thought it i thought it was an interesting 
gambit with the last seven or eight minutes. I thought that the various different twists were sometimes shocking, particularly in their timing within the episode more than them happening. Right. Uh, but but in retrospect, I found myself a tiny bit underwhelmed, uh, whereas I was fully satisfied by Succession. I thought it was a, a great finale, just full of one fantastic scene and, and fantastically performed scene after another. It felt like a an appropriate sign off for the series, though at the same time, it could just as easily have been a season four finale and there could be another season next year, except sadly there is not. Um, I suspect that your feelings are the reverse on those two. Yeah, they are. Uh, uh, you know, Succession is, I don't, I'm not on the, Succession is the greatest show of all time bandwagon, like a lot of people are. I, I think it's fine, and I watched it. I was just, it's not like, for me, like the, 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 the series finale of that show was not like, oh my God, I can't wait to see it. I'm so sad it's leaving. I was like, okay, here's another pretty good episode of TV. And that's how I felt. Um, Barry, I thought, the, the finale was consistent with how strange this season has been because I wasn't really sure when season three ended that it was going to come back and it could have satisfactorily ended right there because the ending of season three at the end of season three, I could have been like, okay, that's it. It's over and that's fine. But they continue with season four and the risks and weirdness that Bill Hader took in terms of jumping timelines and doing all this crazy shit um, I, I thought was really interesting and, you know, I think far more interesting than what they did with Succession. And I thought that the final episode was consistent in that weirdness, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Oh, um, I, I totally, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked more It worked more for me because, like, I, I was on the ride of the incredible weirdness of season four. And it ended in a way that I was like, yeah, that makes sense for it to end that kind of way. I understood it. I think I probably would have, as I look back on the series as a whole, I think I probably would have admired it a hair more if it actually had ended at the end of season three. I, me I don't too. think that. Me too. Let me just say I that. Don't think that yeah. yeah, I don't think that season four took, a, took away that much overall from my appreciation of the show and what Bill Hader did. And I, and absolutely for him to want to do a lot of the things that he did in, in the final season, I am so fully on board with, with the oddness and with his, and with his ability to do those things. I, I just, at the end was not as, as blown away or as moved necessarily as I wanted it to be. And I think it's entirely possible that if we talked last week or mm -hmm. even more likely the week before when it was yeah. still very, very, fresh i probably would have been more enthusiastic it's just a, an issue of of what of what weathers in what way in my brain and what uh, what was the response uh because uh, you know uh from the succession fans were most people satisfied with it what's the what's the vibe that you got from the people who were like really in, looking forward to it in general i think that people were Please. That was that was the impression I got. Definitely a couple people on on Twitter have been like, I hated the finale. And that's yeah. totally fine. I mean, I feel bad for those people just because it sucks to, you know, watch it sucks yeah. to watch four seasons of a TV show and hate how it ends. And it sucks to watch a 90 minute finale and hate how it ends. Yeah. Uh, I, I personally disagree and I don't, I don't, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gone into deep interviews with the people who have popped up and talked about hating it to see what it was that they thought they were getting. Uh, yeah. But I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to say, I don't know what were they expecting because like, I'm not a huge fan of the show, as you know, 
And I didn't dislike the finale. I thought the finale was fine, and to me, it was consistent. I don't, I don't know what people were expecting. Mostly, I mean, me, I mostly people, mostly people seem to have been happy. I think that there have been some conversations about what people thought about different parts of the end and what they thought about the choice that ship made for an example and, and what it meant and whether they feel like it undermines the journey. I don't feel like, sure, yeah. I don't feel like anything in the finale is so determined as to undermine anything in the sense that whatever it is that you think that Shiv did at the end, her life is going to go on and it's, and misery is eventually going to um, ensue. So whether you think it was already plenty miserable, there's more misery to come. There's yeah. more, mis you know, if you if you somehow wanted more misery or more dramatic misery for Kendall, or if you somehow thought that that seeing Roman be be kind of remorseful and and bittersweet, that that meant that that was where the character was left forever. You know, I just I just don't think that it was ever that kind of show where you're ever supposed to think, OK, now it's it's over. You're supposed to think here is the ironic and bittersweet place where everything has been left. Was it in fitting with the entire four season journey of the show? And and my answer would be absolutely it. It totally was. Yeah. It was a it was a finale that summed up the things we knew about the characters to this point and none of the actors could have been better it was it was just one brilliant performance after another and and that for me was plenty yeah and i you know and as a as not as big a fan of the show as everybody else is i thought it was exactly you know it should have ended that way i was like that's a very good ending and a very consistent it's consistent with everything that's led up to it i don't know why because i don't know what people wanted i mean because that was like yeah that's the way to end the show that makes sense to me i don't know I, I think I think most people were in that camp. I just, there's look, just there's just no way that you're ever gonna make everybody happy. Of course, that one, that, that, that one is just accepted. And uh, similarly, I, I I would say I probably saw more people being annoyed by the finale of Barry because oh yeah, oh yeah, and, don't... <laughs> and, and and in that case, I think I understand why because. Unlike the finale for Succession, where wherever anyone left any of the storylines, you know that you know. The, what's happening might be different five episodes in the future where Barry left things. You either have to buy the finality right. of all of the stories or right. you could be annoyed by it. Yeah, um, no, I, there's no question about, it. you know, what's really a strange thing that went through my head, Dan, and a lot of weird shit goes through my head, as you know, but, <laughs> um, but when Barry was over, when, when, when the finale was over, I was like, okay, that was great. I really loved it. And boy, what a weird season, you know, season four was really, really strange. And you know, that whole thing about, we just talked about like you and I are both in the, in the camp that, I think I would have preferred it had it ended in season at the end of season three. You know what I mean? I agree. Mm -hmm. And then for some weird reason, because this, I, I thought of enlightened, and my thought was, I'm kind of glad it didn't come back for season three because I was, because <laughs> season three of enlightened might ended up like season four of Barry. And for some weird reason, I was like, okay, cool. I, you know, because I'm always pissed that enlightened only lasted two seasons. And then after watching the season four finale and season four of Barry, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm glad season. I'm glad. Enlightened is only two seasons. I think absolutely Enlightened goes under the heading of shows where, sure, could it have gone on? Yes. Uh, and do I trust Mike White enough to oh, yeah. believe that he would have done well with it? Of course I do. 
But on the other hand, season two of Enlightened really just is such a wonderful season of television. Yep. Yep. Might as well end on such a wonderful right. season of television. Yeah. And I felt the same way about season three of Barry, but we got an extra season. And it was fine. It was weird. It was Absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 did, I did not by any stretch of the imagination dislike yeah. the, fourth, the, the last season of Barry yeah. at all. I just okay. might have preferred now, a different season. Using the word dislike and HBO in the same sentence, um, very briefly, I couldn't... Well, I did watch all of the first episode <laughs> of The Idol. I didn't know it was... I turned it off during the last like minute and a half. I wasn't even aware of that until later. Uh, but explain what The Idol is for people who might not know. Um, and then... I don't, go, go ahead. The, the, the Idol is a confusing show that HBO never should have put on the air and that they should have said initially look we like the idea of working with the weekend and with euphoria creator sam levinson here we made a pilot it didn't work oh well come back to us next time you have a good idea guys and instead not only did they not do that they made an entire season of television then they ditched half of the people involved with that season of television including amy Seinmetz, who uh directed the first season in its initial form they got rid of all of those people and then basically put it even more in the hands of sam levinson who i just uh yeah um the idol is kind of a a tin-eared hollow horror satire of the entertainment industry but so much the worst version of such a thing that it's it's just hard to engage with on any level it's oh. it's it's not like it's it's fairly easy to do a a horror satire of the industry of an entertainment world slash industry whether it's um nope. sorry yeah that's all right you okay <laughs> no i'm just uh trying to <laughs> weird calls coming through my computer oh okay I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard it or not. No, I, have no I did idea not. What actually, ah, okay. Yes, I got. I got mysterious calls. Nice that you didn't have to listen to the uh, the FaceTime ringing sound. No, uh, it, it, but yes. So so basically, it's it's a lot of exploitative trash. I don't know, and it's boring, and it's uh, yeah, boring and exploitative, and the weekend cannot act. Um, no, and no, and can't. it's a problem. It's a big problem. And I, you know, like, you know what I kept thinking of while I was watching uh, the first episode? And I'm not going to go back and watch any of it. Are you not, did you get through the entire second episode or no? Not yet. No, it was okay. I, after, after the Tonys uh, on the night that definitely isn't last night. That's definitely Sunday night. Um, <laughs> right. I, I just, I watched like 20 minutes and, uh, and everything was just so. Yeah. It's more of the same crap, I would imagine. So, um, well, the thing, the thing is, it rem you know what I was thinking of while I was watching it and wishing I was watching instead? What? Uh, the Neon Demon. That's, um, and I was, that's, that's what I was I was going to mention the Neon Demon as an example. I was yeah. going to mention, uh, I was going to mention Suspiria yeah. as an example. Um, yeah. just sort yep. of the, the idea of a world of artistic obsession where artistic obsession veers into something horrifying and uh, something in which people's bodies are commodified. It's a, it's right. a common trope. Sure. It's just not being and both done of those things, well here. Both, both of those things that you mentioned, both Suspirias, the original and the remake, 
uh, and Neon Demon, I love. I, <laughs> I, I, I am aware, and that's why, and that's why I was surprised that you didn't go straight to Suspiria before Neon yeah, Demon. But, yeah, uh, uh, I think Neon Demon because it's more modern in the in that sense, you know. Because I mean, Suspiria is like you know, almost fifty years old, and the remake takes place in nineteen seventy seven. So that's why, like, Neon Demon is more. I don't know. It's it stylistically, it made more sense to go there. Um, but I don't know. But anyway, the idol is terrible and it's, it's, just, it really just, and it's, and it, there are a lot of good people in it. And so you have Hank Azaria doing a, a bizarre Israeli accent yeah, that probably yeah. not such a great idea. Um, you have Jane Adams, who I feel like the only direction she received was be worse. <laughs> I, like I can't like some of her line readings and and the problem is that it's horribly written it's just it's, it's just so yeah. wretchedly written yeah and yeah. I can't imagine and but like if there were actors who were capable of delivering some of the horrible dialogue tangibly and meaningfully Jane Adams would be a, a perfectly yeah. viable candidate she's a great actress tremendous she's yeah. awful in this and and it's and I can only assume it's because she's been directed to be and right. I do wonder, and part of what is going to keep me watching is going to be to see if the horror manifests itself more literally, because it's so very much a a making a deal with the devil kind of nonsensical tropey thing. And I'm just I'm curious if they're just going to acknowledge it or if not. And I I don't. God, well, you you know what? You can keep me posted. (laughs) Okay. I understand. Um, I understand. I'm being canaried in the coal mine on this one. Oh uh, yeah, I'm not watching any more of that shit. So you can keep. Me, you can God, keep me I I don't know. It's like it's not even. It's it's sort of yeah. Every everything about it is is so grungy and unappealing and Completely. and and some of like I can accept some of it is intentional, but not enough of it is no. intentional. No. Some of it just is. It's awful. It's it's absolutely awful. All right, L- okay. Let's move to another thing that's completely different than Idol. You <laughs> saw an, a, a documentary from Tribeca about Dan Rather, and I'm fascinated by this because Frank Marshall directed it, the director of Congo. Indeed, um, <laughs> which, is, which is always my go-to when I talk about Frank. I talk about uh, Frank I'm, I'm sure. I, I mean, you, you could. I could. I could accept arachnophobia as an alternative. I think. I think arachnophobia is a better movie. So uh, I'm a huge fan of Congo. I love it. Um, I didn't know. I adore that movie. I'm not kidding. I do. And um, but you know, Dan Rather, fascinating dude. And you in this documentary, which I mean, it, it's played at Tribeca. Is it? Has it gotten a deal? Is it going to be shown streaming anywhere or anything I think yet? It, I think it has a streaming home. I just can't instantly remember what it is. Okay. And, and because it's, you know, because he's an established TV personality, that helps. And it's, it, it's just, it's not enough ultimately is kind of the problem with it is, is regardless of your feelings about Dan Rather and what he represents within the media landscape, I think he represents a lot within the media landscape. Yeah. And so whether you want to explore Dan rather as a part of the Mount Rushmore three headed uh, anchor, whatever of the eighties and nineties, the your Tom Brokaw's and your Peter Jennings and your Dan rather, whether you want to view the reason why he has become as polarizing as he has kind of the reason why Richard Nixon, Roger Ailes, and, you know, decades of, of right wing thinkers have decided to make him public enemy. Number one, whether you want to look at the specifically blundered story that led to his downfall at CBS, 
there's there's not there's just not enough here. It's a it's a 96 minute documentary. It does cover all the bases. It's not like it's ignoring anything. It just doesn't necessarily cover the bases thoroughly. But I always I so much of the way that we look at anchors now, because in large part of cable news and all of that, and the fact that it's somewhat almost any stuff shirt can be an anchor, yeah. kind of the the William Hurd and broadcast news right. theory of things. Right. It, Watching the footage of Dan Rather on the ground in Dallas in 1963 in the aftermath of the Kennedy assassination, watching the year of footage that Dan Rather shot when he was uh, embedded with U.S. forces in Vietnam in the mid-60s, just he did have a fascinating life and he was an intrepid, groundbreaking reporter and Seeing that and being reminded of that, I think, is incredibly useful, especially for a current generation that looks at him as uh, the sort of wonderfully crotchety uh, man on Twitter who who gets retweeted around a lot. And and that obviously, it's impressive that he has that, you know, he's he's 91 years old, that he has that yeah. act in his life is pretty impressive. Yeah. I just wanted more. It's, it's still interesting stuff. Though. Okay. All right. And uh, before we get out of here, I keep... I, you know, I get my remote, you know, I have new, I now, I now have new equipment, Dan. I now have the the remote I can talk into. Remember the last time when I was uh, telling you that I had to update my equipment now? I do. Nah, and I'm talking into my remote. It's ma- amazing. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The future. Um, it's now, it's Nick. The future is now. I was way behind. Oh my who, God. Who needs uh, hover, hover cars? <laughs> You've got a remote control you <laughs> can talk a, to. I can talk into my remote. I can just say NBC. Boom. There it is. It's unbelievable. So. I keep waiting. I, I'm just about to pull the trigger because I got the. I'll say Netflix, and then it'll pop on, and I'm always just about to pull the trigger, and I just haven't yet on Fubar. Uh, it, should I or this no. is Schwarzenegger? <laughs> that was that was quick. Okay, no, so this I, is I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's well, new action comedy series, Fubar. Yes, it's it's not the worst thing, but it is totally just a mediocre mid-90s Arnold Schwarzenegger movie somehow expanded to eight hours. That's okay. that's just okay. what it is. It's neither better nor worse than that. Um, would I rather simply just watch Commando or The Eraser and just be done with it in two hours? Probably, yes. I don't think there's... It's it's not very funny, and it tries to be funny. It's, it's one of those shows that... Uh, the creators are primarily action people, but they wanted to make an action comedy, but they don't quite know how to do the comedy part and they don't quite have the budget to do the action part. Oh, so okay, okay. it's it's not completely successful as either of the things that it's trying to be. And yeah. But it's probably a better use of your time than watching the three-hour Arnold documentary on Netflix, which is just yay Arnold Schwarzenegger for three hours and yeah. nothing else. So yeah, you can, you trust me, you can find better things to watch. Than okay. Before. Well, last night I was going to watch after the, uh, to- oh, I'm sorry, the night before last, after the Tony's, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch some FUBAR because I'm going to be talking with Dan tomorrow. And I think I'll watch a little FUBAR. And then I was like, yeah. And then I saw they were like, hey, you know, uh, Ruth, Ruth Carter, by the way, uh, made an appearance at the Music Box Theater here in Chicago uh, on Sunday afternoon. Um, promoting a book and uh, they were showing Crooklyn in the morning and then she came and did an onstage thing and they did a beautiful slideshow presentation and talked about her incredible costumes and stuff like that and one of the things that she costumed was Dolomite is my name 
And uh, as I was about to hit FUBAR, I saw the poster for Dolomite Is My Name, and I went, ah, no, I'm going to watch that again. So I ended up, I ended up watching Dolomite Is My Name instead. And it, I guess uh, I made the right choice. You, did, you definitely didn't make the wrong choice. That's, that, that one's easy. I, no, yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think it's painful, but it's, it's definitely not. It's okay. definitely not good. Okay. All right. What are, we, uh, what are we looking forward to the next time we speak in a couple of weeks uh, that you're looking forward to reviewing and watching? I feel like we're only a couple of weeks away from the new season of, of The Bear. I'm looking forward to finding time to watch that. Uh, there's a new season of um, Black Mirror that premieres this oh, yeah. Friday that I've watched oh. so far none of, but I'm looking oh. forward to at some point watching some of that. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's for, for all of the things drying up, there's a lot still coming out. And then... Uh, um, I can't review it yet because it's still under embargo, but uh, the Boots Riley Amazon series, uh, I'm a Virgo, is oh. quirky and amusing and full of big ideas, is, okay. I, is what right. I can say, which doesn't, I don't think, count as an embargo-breaking okay. review. I do want to take some personal credit for something. Um, uh, speaking of Netflix, uh, last week at some point, I think it was three days in a row, the number one movie on Netflix was Two Leslie. I would like to take personal <laughs> credit for that. <laughs> There, there is no question that that I think of you before I think of all of the Oscar nomination kerfuffle. That I, you, you were banging that drum long before anyone right. else was, and and I give you total credit for that. I did get a nice uh, social media bump, and uh, and and now I now am a back and forth relationship with Mary McCormack now, which makes me ah, happy. So that, perfect. So there you go. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dan, and uh, and we will speak uh, in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to it, Nick. Okay. Thanks, Dan. That's Dan Feinberg, uh, who you can uh, check out in uh, The Hollywood Reporter and from The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, Esmeralda Leon joins me now. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. All right. It is uh, time to talk to Esmeralda Leon, as you can tell by the uh, theme song that uh, we just played here. And uh, it's Esmeralda Leon. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm bleeding. Um, Oh, no. Yeah. I uh, I just shaved before we started recording. Mm-hmm. And uh, I cut myself right under my right nostril, and it w- and it will not stop bleeding. So while huh. I'm talking, I will just bleed all over the microphone and all over my legs. And uh, I have a great. I have like a paper towel here and a couple of tissues and stuff. And it's sure. one of those. It's one of those deals where. You know, you could take a little. You know, you know, you know how guys do this when they cut themselves shaving. They put the little dot of toilet paper on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to press it down and then hold it. Well, I have this. It's right under my nose. So every time I talk, and you kind of have to talk when you're hosting a podcast. Um, and uh, so, but every time I talk, it moves and blood comes out. So I will be yeah. bleeding. So for, for, you know, if this were, you know, a podcast that where we had like cameras and stuff, you would be seeing me tapping, <laughs> tapping a bloody paper towel against my, uh, under my right nostril for the next uh, however long it takes. So anyway, uh, 
Hi, you how are you? Do get, you? Um, mm -hmm. you should get, a, there's this thing called styptic pencils. Yes, yes. And I they do. are for that, your purpose right now. Yep, I don't have them. <laughs> I know exactly. And I, and I, I don't have them. Um, you know, there's a Walgreens across the street, but I can't, because I just, I literally was like, oh, I'm going to shave right before I start recording with, uh, with Esmeralda. And I did. And I was like, oh, I felt all fresh. And then all of a sudden I'm like, ow, shit. <laughs> and, and then it just, uh, you know, so anyway, but yeah, but I'm sure you've shaved, you've, you've, have you, you've nicked yourself shaving your legs and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 It's fun. It's fun. Uh, so, and it's just annoying cause it's so little. It's just, and it hurts like shit. It hurts like hell too. Like when you splash water on it or you put anything on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, all right, I'll be bleeding here. How were yeah. you? How was your weekend, Esmeralda? It was all right. Yeah? Did you uh, do anything? Went to uh, Midsummer Fest. Oh, my God. All right. Stood around on a street. Did you uh, <laughs> Did you have any glug slushies from Simon? I did not. Oh, I did okay. not. Okay. No. Yeah, that's a, that's a. I used to live in Andersonville and you know yeah. hang out there all the time. Well, so did you see any good bands? Were there uh, anything that? Um, yeah, there was a Fleetwood Mac cover band, I believe. So we heard a little bit of that. There was some other bands playing, but I wasn't sure what they were. They just kind of they sounded good. Yeah, but uh, it was just I think original music. Yeah, I used to live. I mean, walking distance. I used to live right on uh, Balmoral and Polina. Mm -hmm. And used to go to Midsummer Fest all the time, and you know, I mean, Simon's was my was my was my place of my place of hangout for many 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 years. Um, yeah, and Midsummer Fest, boy, it's a, is it was it was it crowded? Um, yeah, it was. I wouldn't. Um, it didn't feel as crowded as you would think, yeah. like for these big fests and stuff. So that mm -hmm. was kind of nice because that was usually that throws me off. I don't really go to fests. I don't care to pay to stand on a street. So, well, why did you go to this one? Uh, some friends invited me. Okay. Um, and uh, did you did you eat any of the off the did did uh, the restaurants have food that like tables and stuff for the for food? Um, yeah, we went to um, I believe it's called Lady Gregory's. So we actually we got really lucky. And we got a table outside, so it was like good, some good people watching to just stand around and yeah. or sit around and have some food. Now the weekend, uh, Friday was Friday was nice. Saturday was really warm and really nice. You didn't go on Sunday, did you? No, I went Saturday. Okay, okay, because I was gonna say, <laughs> I mean, Saturday was a little warm for my blood. I, you know, I'm not, but it was at least sunny and it was a nice day to go out to a festival. But my God, Sunday it was like pissing down rain and 30 degrees colder. Yeah, I'm surprised anybody was there. Yeah, <laughs> if they yeah. were. Yeah, uh, our old uh, our old buddy, you know, Tom uh, Tom Hush. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very good friends with Slap Slap. By the way, Slap Slapley hasn't been, he hasn't docked his submarine. Man, I am bleeding everywhere. Sorry, excuse me for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you could see this this hunk of paper towel that I have in front of me with all the blood good spots Lord. on it. Lord. <laughs> uh, I'll take a picture of it and send it to you. Uh, but anyway. Oh, great. Thank um, you. Yeah, I know you'll be thrilled about seeing my, my, my blood all over a paper towel. But anyway, um... So the you know the dead played on Friday and Saturday or the great whatever mm -hmm. they're, whatever yeah. they're called now the assholes that are still alive whatever those guys are called now and they played at Wrigley on Friday and Saturday and Tom Hush went Saturday but he also went to see some band at the Salt Village or the Salt Shed oh yeah 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 on Sunday called the 
I don't know, some one of his dumbass. You know, he's he's in his twenties. I don't know what the fuck he listened, what people listen to in their twenties. He's in his late twenties. Um, I don't know what well, they played the Salt Shed on Sunday night, and um, so he took some pictures from the Grateful Dead show, which was you know like on Saturday he went, which was like sunny and warm, and you know you were out there, you were in Andersonville, yeah, mm-hmm. and then he took pictures of whatever this concert was that he went to you know killer village or some shit band that he listens to at the salt shed the next day and everybody had their had the parkas on and the you know and the um the the, the oh and it was outside it was outside yeah oh yeah yeah and it was like it was the 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 24 hour difference in terms of what how pleasant it was to be outside on saturday and how unbelievably miserable it would have been on sunday was ridiculous and i would imagine (laughs) i would imagine that um the glug slushies were not selling very well on Sunday. That would be my guess. Right. <laughs> so. But anyway, so Fleetwood Mac, huh? Fleetwood Mac cover. Oh. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what they were called? Were they called Rumors or something? Because I love... No idea. No. <laughs> I just, we walked by airplane. <laughs> I love, uh, as you know, I love cover band names. Those are, the, the names of cover bands are fantastic. Um. Because, you know, they usually, like, name them after an album or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, yeah. something. So, I, you know, I'm just going to assume that they were named, you know, Gypsy. I'm just going to go with that. Right. That's, and that's they were good. two, I believe it was, like, two guys, two girls, too. So. Oh, they did. Were they all Were they all banging each other? That's the other thing. It's very important. I, I, didn't, I didn't bother <laughs> to ask. It's very important that they bang each other and then write songs about that. That's the very important. And then make the other person sing it. The person that fucked you over in the relationship, you got to make them sing the song that you wrote about them. Um, okay. Anyway. So, uh, my favorite, you know my favorite cover band name, right? Uh, no. What Scorpions. is it? Scorpions. Their they're, they're cover band for the Scorpions is called Scorps. Oh, okay. <laughs> the most creative name for a cover band ever. Yeah, I'm in a band. Uh, I'm in a cover band for the Scorpions. Oh, really? What do you call? What do you call Love Drive or what do you call? No, we're called Scorps. Oh, good. That's, that's great. <laughs> I mean, it'll be easy to you know the connection will be made quite easily. <laughs> Scorps, that's my favorite. Yeah, I mean those are the those are the best. Uh, now, were they all was like one of them all dressed up in like was she dancing around in gauze and shit with the flowing? No, no, she wasn't. <laughs> I don't think they were that much of a. They they're uh, not like one of those Fleetwood cover Mac bands. Band. They're not one of those cover bands that takes it so seriously. There was a band, uh, a Zeppelin cover band called Presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, this blood is ridiculous. There's uh so, and they would take themselves way way seriously. Like they would walk out with wigs on. Oh wow! And they would call themselves, uh, you know, they would call themselves Pagey. And uh, and and you know and Bono and ba- and Bonham yeah. and stuff like that. They they would wow. not call themselves, but yeah, and they would have English accents. They're like get them, and they're like from Berwyn or something, you know? Right. Like I think from, I've like, seen a band like that. Might have been them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they all come out in like seventies, oh. like tight pants and stuff. And... It's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And where are you guys from? Berwyn. Yeah. No, they're not. You know, like I, I got news for you. Zeppelin's not from Berwyn. I got to tell you that right now. But yeah, but I, I used to th- those those cover bands are hilarious. The ones that take it so seriously, where they come out, you know, um, like there was a band called Kissed, what, mm. <laughs> and I think at some point, Kiss cover bands 
got a cease and desist from Kiss. Oh, that makes sense. Like that, they were like, you yeah. can't do this. <laughs> like they would guys would come out and they'd spit fire and they'd bleed and they'd have the makeup on, and you know they got the the, the makeup is copywritten, the the, wow. the design. Like you can't use it. It's, Interesting. Uh, you know, without I didn't their know that. without their permission. Yeah, I mean that's how bad they. Remember, I was telling you that uh, a movie that came out earlier this year about Casablanca Records in the seventies. Yeah, was, you said they kind of were doing knockoff. Yeah, because they because they couldn't get the rights to the actual design. So they had Kiss in the mm. movie was in the movie. They had actors playing Gene Simmons and Ace Frehley and you know Paul Stanley and Peter Chris, but they couldn't get the rights. And this was a movie about the label. That that they recorded all their music on. That's how bad this movie was. So yeah, but anyway, yeah, presence. Those guys were just—they would take themselves so seriously, and walk out there and with accents, get out of here. So the Fleetwood Mac people—they oh, were just playing the Fleetwood Mac music. They weren't like yeah, yeah, okay, okay, all right, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I haven't been to Andersonville in a long time. I miss that neighborhood. I know that that block that you guys were on on Clark there. Mm-hmm. I haven't been there in years, and I know that it's completely different. For, is Ann Sather still there? Um, I think so, yeah. Okay, because that was right across from uh, Simon's. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, well, you know, I mean, while Simon's is closer to Foster, you guys might have been further north. Um, we were around right? Berwyn. So. Berwyn, okay. Oh, wait a yeah. I'm sorry, where were Berwyn! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if, so you went on the nice day, so the weather was nice. That's cool. Yep. You had fun. Mm-hmm. Got some had some food. Got to do some people watching. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, uh, all right. Well, listen, we have a um, a, 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 a megaphone here, a megaphone message uh, mm-hmm. that I'm going to play here while I bleed all over the while I bleed all over the megaphone. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Seriously, it will not stop bleeding. It's ridiculous. I'm just going to continue on. Uh, so, Lori sends a, uh, a letter, an email, and if you would like to uh, make a megaphone request, you can do so on the voicemail at 773-417-6948, um, or you can uh, send it in the email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And if I have a megaphone request, I will just write it out in my blood at this point. There uh, you go. So- Perfect. <laughs> All right. So Lori says, I've been listening to you for decades. I love both of your podcasts. Thank you, Lori. Um, after over 30 years as an educator, I am retiring as a teacher librarian at Rockford's Auburn High School. Uh, and she's retiring on uh, June 13th, which is today. Oh, there we go. How about that? Today. So in honor Congratulations. of this. Thank you. Congratulations, Lori. Thank you for all of the work that you've done. And teachers and librarians are awesome and important people. Oh, very um, much so. And maybe if you're in the library, you can look up something on, in the encyclopedia, how to stop bleeding. Maybe that would. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so uh, there is a quotation that saw me through tough times. And I would like you to play that quote for me in the megaphone. So in honor mm. of Lori's retiring after th- 30 years as an educator and teacher at Auburn High School in Rockford, she retires today. Here is her megaphone request. Are you ready, Esmeralda? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to have to explain this one, but I will play it. Here we go. Okay. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Okay. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. So, oh, shut up. So, uh, any, so did you understand that at all? 
Some things you just can't get something. <laughs> very close. Very, very close. It is, uh, I'll play it one more time and then I'll, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, tell you what, what it really says. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Okay. So that's, that is some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Okay. And that is from the Adam West Batman movie. So, so the TV series, mm-hmm. um, they made a movie out of it in 1966, a full-length movie, and it was actually released theatrically. It's been shown a million times, and it features all of the villains. And if you've never seen it, it's have you ever seen the the Batman the the original uh, Batman um, movie? I've seen bits and pieces of it, but because it's not got in e- its entirety, it's got everybody. It's got the Riddler, it's got the Joker, it's got the Penguin, it's got Catwoman. It's everybody is in it, and it's fantastic. And at one point. He's trying to get rid of a bomb. That's that uh, Batman is trying to get rid of a bomb, and mm-hmm. he's trying to like throw it somewhere. It's lit, you know. It's one of those old-fashioned round bombs with the big wick on top, mm-hmm. you know, that you see in cartoons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get rid of it, but he can't throw it in the water because he sees a whole bunch of family of ducks, so he can't throw oh, it in the water. Of He'll, course, you know, of course you can't. He can't do that, and he's trying to throw it someplace. But there's all these innocent bystanders around, and so he's stuck with this bomb. And then eventually, he says. That's what that's what <laughs> So he that's can't get nice. rid of it. And um I like it. So it's a great quote and this is uh Laurie says this is a quote from the nineteen sixty six Batman movie, Some Days You Just Can't Get Rid of a Bomb. It's not only the best scene in the movie, in my opinion, but it is a quotation that everyone should live by. So Lori, on the day of her retiring today, uh got through thirty years as an educator a librarian at the uh, Auburn to High School in Rockford by saying this every day. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. So there you go. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for Lori. I mean, yeah. She yeah. she would know. Yeah. A literary bomb. Exactly. So <laughs> anyway, so that's that, that was it. That, that, no, um, did you watch Batman um, when you were younger? No, not really. No. Um, I, you know, I'm familiar with it and I've seen episodes now as an adult, but yeah, never as a child. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's great. It's the, I mean, you know, for me, it's, it's the actual Batman. Like that's my, all mm-hmm. these other, all these other movie versions and, you know, all this other stuff I don't care about. That's the only one. But I watched a lot when I was a kid and, I, and they, uh, you know, you know that was that was being replayed a lot on a lot of the things that you watched when you were when you were younger. Um, so I remember it was on they they did it on MTV. They re they reshowed it on MTV a lot, like in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Adam West, classic, classic Batman. So anyway. Oh yeah. All right. I gotta move this out of the way because I'm bleeding. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, we have a voicemail that I'm going to play, Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. And it does have something to do with the topic that we're that we've been talking about that we're going to pick up again uh, in this episode, and it's about uh, you know those those things that stars would like to forget that they starred in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, like we talked about the McDLT commercial with uh, Jason Alexander mm-hmm. um, on the last episode, and we talked about the Devil's Reign, the movie where John Travolta melted. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> we talked about that. Well, uh, this voicemail starts out with a uh, with uh, a, a contribution to that topic, which we'll jump into. 
uh, and uh, and also moves on to a couple of other quick things. So this is from David in Oak Park. And by the way, voicemail system is running 24-7. If you want to leave a voicemail message anytime, 773-417-6948. All right, here's a voicemail. Let's give it a listen, and then we'll talk about it. Hey, Nick. My name is uh, David from Oak Park, Illinois. I was uh, calling in response to whether your, your uh, topic that you and Esmeralda did on, uh, like before they were stars, um, things that they did before they became like really famous. What I could think of would be like Leonardo DiCaprio when he appeared on, I think, Growing Pains, and also Joseph Gordon-Levitt when he was on that uh, TV show um, with uh, with uh, with uh, John Lithgow, uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Um, those are the two I can think of. But anyway, um, I also want to say really enjoyed the SNL podcast. Uh, great guest last time. And also the Radio Misfits Live uh, live shows are great. And anyway, it's just too bad that they couldn't put those on overnights, just like when you used to be on GN. I don't know. That's not up to you, of course, but um, that would be kind of cool that they were to do that, put like your podcast and your SNL podcast together overnights on Radio Mysteries Live. Anyway, uh, great show, Nick, and uh, you take care, and uh, God bless. All right. Well, thank you, David. Hey, uh, That's you know, I'll, nice. I'll put that suggestion out there to to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Um, you know, maybe you can rerun my podcast late at night because people like to listen to me late at night. Mm. So that would be kind of fun. So that's a nice suggestion. Well, yeah, with David, thank you, David. I appreciate that. But yeah, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. He, what, was it um, Growing Pains or was it Silver Spoon? Which one was it? Was it Silver no? He was Spoons? on Growing Pains. It was Growing yeah. Pains. Now, which one is Growing mm-hmm. Pains? Uh, it's the one sh- with that religious dude, Cameron. Oh, what's Kirk his Cameron? Face? Kirk Cameron. Yes. Okay. And uh, Growing Pains, okay, because I get, I get all of those kind of mixed up. I get that one and Family Ties kind of mixed because I never watched them. Yeah. Um, and then, like, the other one is Silver Spoons, right? But that's, like, Ricky Schroeder's just a rich little bastard, right, in that? Yeah, there was somebody else on that show that, like, went on to do something. There was, um, wasn't there? That's why I got the Leo thing mixed up. Yeah. Because there was somebody there was... There was there was somebody on Silver Spoons that actually did go on. To oh, that. Alfonso, Alfonso Ribeiro was in it. So he is Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, okay. All right. And Jason Bateman was also on Silver Spoons. That's so. the, there you go. Jason Bateman, that's the one. Um, yeah, so Leo was on that show. And he was also in one of the, uh, not Ghoulies, Critters. He's in one of the Critters movies. Um. Yes. He's in one of the. I've cr- never now, seen it. But I'm not sure. What's the one with the snakes, or that big snake monster? The big snake monster. Is that Critters with no. uh, bake, Kevin Bacon? No, that's Tremors. Oh, I think he's in Tremors. Uh, DiCaprio? Mm-hmm. No, no, he's not. Yeah, trust me, I know. I know Tremors back back and forth. That's he's not. He's not in that. He, he he's in one of the Critters movies. I'm almost positive he's one of the Critters movies. Tremors is with the big giant sandworms with Fred Wo- Fred Ward and uh, but there is somebody from Family Ties in that Michael Gross is in that movie he's in Tremors uh, he and Reba McIntyre play rednecks with a bunch of guns mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so there's the connection with Family Ties 
uh, on that one. But no, no, Leo was in the Critters movie. Oh, one of the okay. Critters. One of the Critters. I don't I think the second one. I think he's in the second Critters movie. And, uh, but yeah. So now you were into Leo uh, for the Romeo and the Juliets, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I saw Basketball Diaries. Right. That was really good. Um, he lost you at Titanic. Yeah, I never watched Growing Pains. No, yeah, he lost me at Titanic. Wow, that's I never watched lost. Growing Pains. Yeah, I never watched it either. But yeah, Leo was on Growing And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, was on The Third Rock from the Sun, as uh, mm-hmm. as David mentioned. Um, a show that had no business being as funny as it is, and it's almost all because of the cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because Lithgow's, Lithgow's hilarious, man. I mean, you know, I mean, Lithgow is fun. It's funny and everything. And, and uh, uh, yeah, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in that. And now, you know, he's, he's you know, big time Joe Levitt. <laughs> I think that's Oh, of course. It. Yeah. Now he's all grown up. <laughs> all grown up. Uh, yeah. No, I remember, I remember like seeing uh, Halloween H2O. Mm-hmm. And he's in that. He's in Halloween H2O, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And Halloween H2O came out, like, while that uh, Third Rock show was still on. And that's all I knew him from. And I remember going to the screening of H2O, and not to ruin it for everybody, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets killed in the first 10 minutes of Halloween H2O. Mm-hmm. And people cheered in the theater. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because I guess every, like, when they saw because everybody hate, I guess everybody found him annoying on the third rock show yeah i mean he's supposed to be a teenage boy yeah and then he's like a teenage boy disguised as some kind of like army guy or something or some kind of care whatever he is as an alien uh so everything's kind of making him really annoying on that show yeah and i and i and i I, and i guess because i never watched i didn't watch third rock uh while it was in its first run i didn't watch it till it was rerun. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it, when it was when it was the very first time it was shown i wasn't i, I wasn't watching it but years later i right. watched it and i was like oh i should have been watching this show years ago it's funny because of the cast but joseph gordon levitt is annoying on it but as far as as far as i could tell back in 1998 when um h2o came out um he wasn't well liked because the audience fucking cheered when he got killed <laughs> <laughs> goodness he gets like an ice skate in his face too oof yeah because he's he's walking around with a hockey stick in the movie and he's all funny and he's all trying to be and he's all wacky and he's like good he walks into the house that everybody thinks michael's in he walks in cracking wise with a hockey stick and then he ends up with a with a with with an ice skate (laughs) blade in his eye in his eye you know he's gonna stick an ice skate yikes and people cheered. They're like, "Yeah, fuck him!" You know, they started cheering at the in the theater because they hated him in the movie, in the show, I guess. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. You, you've seen H two? Have you seen H two O? I have. Yeah. 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 So that's him getting killed. He gets. He's the one who gets the ice ice skate in the face. That's him. Joseph Gordon Levitt. So, I kind of feel that way right now because I'm bleeding out of my face. I'm bleeding right. My, I feel like I have an ice skate. Do you in my have face. an ice skate? Do you have an ice skate to complete the look? I should, man. I'm telling you right now. Oh my god! All right. Anyway, so thank you, Lori, uh, for uh, that, and congratulations on your retirement. And thank you, David, for the voicemail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, and my dad, by the way, is going to stop by. Um, and uh, very nice. And as you know, intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh. 
Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I Hi, love Nick's show. How you doing, Carrie? Yeah, good to see you. Hi, right. I'm Carrie Russell, yep. and I love Nick's show. Thank you, Carrie. Oh, she's wearing a uh, she's wearing a Leonardo DiCaprio uh, T-shirt. Oh wow! Yeah, she. Likes I'm sure she up. met him. I mean, she's around. Yeah. You know. She well, she's much too old for him. She's above 24, so she's way too True. old. True. She's way too old for Leo. <laughs> At this point. But she uh, is, you know, I mean, she was running around in those circles. She so was. I'm sure she, yeah. She yeah, met she, him at some point. She probably did, because she was, you know, like uh, in 98, she was Felicity. That was when, that was the first yeah? year of Felicity. First year of Felicity. Well, but by 98, he was already, no, Leo was a superstar. It was Joseph Gordon Levitt who wasn't yet mm. in 98. Uh, Leo, that was uh, like by '98. He was the biggest thing on the planet because Titanic came out at the end of '97. So he was the biggest. You know, he was already a major rock star by that point. Oh man! All right. Okay. Well, so this article that we were looking at about um, afterthought projects that launch huge stars. Um, and this one, the first one that I'm looking at here, and we've been looking at this before, is the mm-hmm. state. Which, according to this article, is uh, an afterthought project. I don't think the state is an afterthought project. <laughs> um, the state was a sketch comedy show that aired on MTV in the '90s. Now, I'm assuming that you, because that that's right in your wheelhouse. Do you remember the, ske- the, the sketch yeah, comedy show, of the state? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great show. It was a very unhinged, chaotic sketch comedy show. It was. Um, it was super good. Uh, you know, it was like that. It was the state and then the Upright Citizens Brigade yep. uh, TV show that they had that all kind of was like amongst, you know, around the same and kind of fan base. Mixed into that was the Ben Stiller show was uh, was mixed mm-hmm. into that around that time period. And all of those shows combined, if you go back and you look at that, you know, what, who was writing for those shows, who was appearing on those shows, it's a who's who of like comedy icons of the now, you know? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, the Ben Stiller show, that was like, uh, you know, uh, Janine Garofalo was on that. I mean, a whole bunch of uh, uh, people were on were on that show. And as they mentioned on the state, Thomas Ian Black, Thomas Lennon, uh, Joe Latruglio, uh, Carrie Kenny, Michael Showalter, David Wayne, all of these people were on the state. And, and actually, from Chicago, Mick Napier, uh, who was a major uh part of uh, io and a major part of second city here in chicago and uh, you know a legend he was part of the state as well oh very cool so and then you know most of those people went on to do reno 911 which is another uh man you go back and look at reno 911 that cast what about that cast huh? mm-hmm. i mean god i mean i can't stand nick swardson he can just suck it but everybody else because <laughs> uh, swardson for people who don't remember Swardson, I don't remember his character's name, but he was on the roller skates with a half shirt. Yes. So he's um, wearing the roller skates. Yeah. He wasn't a cop. He was like, uh, he was always No, getting, he was he one was, of the, the people they would uh, pick up. <laughs> yeah. So they would always arrest him and he was on roller skates. And and I actually didn't hate him on that show because I liked that show so much, but I can't stand him outside mm-hmm. of it. Um, but yeah, Reno 911. I mean, you ever see the episode where Jamie Lee Curtis is on it? Um, I don't think so. Where she plays like um, a police captain from out of town who comes into Reno and she's got an eye patch because mm-hmm. she lost her eye. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's her and Wendy McClellan Smith, uh, 
Wendy McClellan, who was in um, Bridesmaids, mm-hmm. and uh, the Goldbergs. She's the lead on the Goldbergs. She's you remember her from uh, Reno Nine One One? Yeah, um, yeah. She's in it, and she and Jamie Lee Curtis have a whole scene where Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to get into her pants. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, so Reno Nine One One. That's another another one uh, loaded with people um, who would go on to other stuff. Yeah, and then Thomas Lennon, and I forget who else, but Thomas Lennon wrote uh, The Night at the Museum. He did. Yeah. I'm just like, that's so crazy to think, like, he did all this absurdist humor, and then he's doing this very straight, it, like, kid-friendly kind of movie. And you know and what? he wrote all that. You know what, man? Uh, the, the, the cash that he made for that... Yeah. Makes it makes him makes it can can free him up to do weird shit. He's able yeah. to do weird shit that nobody watches because he made Night at the Museum money. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So, yeah, you make that kind of money, man. And it's like Ow! exactly. Uh, is there anything wrote, else? I believe this? he did both, both he, Night at the Museum. No, mean, no, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes written, sense. <laughs> he's written a couple of them, and 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 you know because they keep making sequels, he gets money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if he doesn't write them, he gets money because, you know, that's it. He got, he wrote a, you know, he's part of the, he's a creator of a franchise. So he's got money. He's good. He can, he can do whatever weird little improv shit he wants to do because he's got Night at the Museum money. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm, I kudos to people who can do that where they, they can write whatever. People who write, like, I, I commend you because I can't write for shit. So anybody who can write, he wrote a whole damn movie. I'm sure he wrote it with some other people, but still, yeah. it's a whole damn movie he wrote yeah. <laughs> that is coherent and has <laughs> jokes and storyline. So good for him, and he's making all the money off of it. Yeah, and he's also like the executive producer of a lot of great stuff that we used to watch on Comedy Central. Like he is one of the creators of At Midnight. Oh um, really? Oh yeah. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. He's like a major. That's why he was on it so many. T- that's why he was on it so many times. Um, you know, which I, I loved at midnight. I thought at midnight was a blast. Um, you know, get those three comedians, let them riff and let, uh, what's his ass Hardwick, uh, do the, you know, be the host. I thought at midnight was funny, but yeah, he was behind that too. A lot of that stuff on comedy central drunk history. He's one of the executive producers of that. Oh, wow. Good for him. Yeah. And he's a talented dude, talented dude. And again, it all goes back to this weird sketch comedy stuff. And he, you know, he was in the state, so Right, exactly. So, um, uh, anything else on this in this article about uh, what what they've done in the past? Um, well, another that we watched we watched that documentary about it, the Dana Carvey show. Oh my god! And yeah. w- watching that, we didn't realize how many people were on it. Like I remember it vaguely, but I didn't really watch it. Watch it, and now and now watching it and seeing who was on it is amazing. Because, yeah, one, it's, well, it's Dana Carvey, but then, you know, like Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, Bob Odenkirk, Louis C.K. was on it. It was so, it's, it's, I mean, everybody has to get their start somewhere. So, yeah, but it's really interesting how talent really does like gravitate towards each other, like good talent. (laughs) And, you know, the thing about that show was it only lasted seven episodes and I'm not a Dana Carvey fan. I know that like that's sacrilegious and I know that, you know. It's even more sacrilegious since I host an SNL podcast <laughs> that I'm not a big Dana Carvey fan, but that show was fucking brilliant. 
Um, and the sketches, have you seen it? Have you watched it like recently? Have you, yeah, have you, yeah. It's really brilliant. Like it's really funny and subversive and weird and and too good for prime time. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was like a summer replacement show on like NBC at like seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. And like and it was on like before some dumbass sitcom or something like, or it was smack dab in the middle of bad sitcoms. And suddenly here's this weird, very creative, surrealistic sketch comedy show, you know, with Dana Carvey and yeah, all these guys, you know, and so, and so many Chicago connections as well. Um, yeah, because I mean, like Odin Kirk, Steve Carell, and um, and Stephen Colbert, they were all in the same Second City troupe here in Chicago at the mm-hmm. same time. So at, at some point, you could walk on stage and see those guys and Chris Farley, like on stage <laughs> on stage at the same time. <laughs> um, and so yeah, but yeah, no. The, if you've not seen the Dana Carvey show, all of these you know like incredible writers and incredible performers wrote for and acted in. Uh, and it's a very weird show. That's the other thing that I, I think we need to warn oh, people Oh, super about. weird. It's super weird, and it was on primetime, which is... Yeah. <laughs> that always boggles my mind. I'm like, yeah. I'm sure they they gave him that show because they're like, oh, it's Dana Carvey. He's a big yeah. name. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. <laughs> and then he just made the weirdest stuff. And it was the... Yeah, absolutely. It was the weirdest thing. Um, but yeah, you go back and you look at it. I mean, I remember there was a... A really surreal and and I'm I'm blanking because I haven't seen it in a very very long time, but there was a sketch involving, a, like a running gag involving drive-throughs, like some really weird shit that involved a drive-through or something happening in a drive-through. Um, mm-hmm. God, I can't remember what it was, but I just remember watching it and my buddy Matt O'Neill, um, and I talked about it the next night at uh, oh oddly enough at Simon's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Right. Maybe it was during Midsummerfest. I don't know. But but we <laughs> talked about it. And I remember we were both kind of hung up on this insane sketch that made no sense that we couldn't believe was on at prime time. And it involved some weird shit in a drive through. That's. Yeah. So, but yeah, Dana Carvey <laughs> show, man. And in looking at this article, here's another one. Did, now, when you were younger, Esmeralda, when you were a kid, did you watch Star Search? Um, Vaguely. I remember yeah. it because I think it would come on um, after cartoons alongside um, Soul Train. An and American all- <laughs> Bandstand. Yeah, That's kind of how you knew it was like yeah, the end yeah. of the cartoons. <laughs> right. Yeah. For me, when I was a kid, it was when Bandstand came on. When American Bandstand came on. Oh, and Soul Train. Yeah. Those were the, the... And I also remember The Monkees was like the last part. That was like the last thing I watched on Saturday mornings when I was a kid. Yeah. They had The Monkees and Batman. Boy, all of this stuff is connecting. And I'm still bleeding. So there we go. It's all connected. Um, but Star Search, for people who don't remember, Ed McMahon was the host. And it was like American Idol or like America's Got Talent, more like, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. its time. And a lot of really famous people came from there. Um, and if you, you know, and I'm looking at the article. Do you remember, yeah. do you remember some of the people being on it? No. I'm looking at this. I never, I never watched it. I only know from like those. Where did they come from? Or you know, I know Beyonce was on. Like Destiny's Child was or a a form of Destiny's Child was on it, Mm -hmm. and they didn't even get through, which was crazy. Like they didn't get past their one thing, I think, or they maybe they got past two or whatever. Right. Um. 
I think because they got put against like some rock band or something. I remember but, watching it on VH1 or something like that. Um, I remember, I remember, I remember because I never watched it. I was, I would, I would turn it on and watch maybe a little bit of it and turn it off. But, but it's astonishing actually, you know, because I'm looking at it right now. Beyonce was on it. Britney Spears was on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Alanis Morissette, back when she was pop, when she was that Canadian pop diva, that little yeah. Uh, Dave Chappelle. I can't even picture Dave Chappelle on <laughs> Star Search. Good Lord. Um, um, Aaliyah um, was on it. Justin Timberlake, my man JT. Uh, Christina Aguilera, Martin Lawrence. They, they, these are all people that, that were on. I remember Martin Lawrence being on Star Search. I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. I don't remember any of these other uh, people. But yeah, Dave Chappelle, man. I remember when Dave Chappelle was terrible, when he was a terrible stand-up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, now, obviously, he's one of the best stand-ups out there and one of the craziest. Um, but I remember, you remember Dave Chappelle was in um, the Eddie Murphy remake of Nutty Professor? Um, I have never seen the Nutty Professor movies. Oh, man. Okay, well. I'm good. <laughs> no, no, you should. The first one's great. The first one's sure. I mean, the, G- the Jerry Lewis one's a masterpiece. The Jerry Lewis one goes without saying. It's one of the greatest films ever made. But the uh, the Eddie Murphy remake is really good. It's very funny. And Dave Chappelle is in that. That was like the first time that I kind of remember Dave Chappelle making a big impression. He plays the insult comic in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, the, that was the first time I remember. I, I remember seeing Dave Chappelle in other things and not thinking he was funny. And then not thinking he was very funny in The Nutty Professor either. either. But that's like the first big break that Dave Chappelle got was in the Eddie Murphy Nutty Professor. After Star Search, mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that was like the place you would go. Yeah. That was where you get a shot at something. Yeah. So, not you know, we didn't have American Idols yet. No, and America's Got Talent. I mean, there was the gong show. <laughs> sure. <laughs> You know, I mean, Top a lot of talent coming out of the gong. Show. Well, hey, you know, do you, do you know that Oingo Boingo first appeared on the gong show? Oh, with, wow. With Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo, they came out and did like this insane marching <laughs> band thing. And they won. They won the check for five hundred and sixteen dollars oh, and whatever. Go. Yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people uh, started on the uh, on the gong show. It's so stupid. You remember the unknown comic where you come out with a bag on his head and tell bad jokes? No. <laughs> you don't remember the unknown comic, oh, Esmeralda? No. You gotta look up. You gotta look um, up the unknown comic. Yeah. You gotta this look up in the seventies, Nick. I was no. not living. Yeah, but I mean, he was. A, he's a legend. The unknown comic. He's a legend. Yeah, look him up. Unknown comic. His, he would come out with a bag on his head because he didn't want to be identified because he told such bad jokes. <laughs> oh wow! It's genius. It's hilarious. So yeah, but so before Star Trek, we had we had the Gong Show. So anyway, all right. Well. They're all stars now because they were searched and they were yeah. found. So there it is. <laughs> no, but some of them didn't even make it. That's right. They were on there I, and they didn't make it. They didn't so poo on you, Star Search. You don't yeah. know what talent is. That's right. I mean, you know, everybody loves Beyonce except me. Everybody loves Beyonce. Everybody on the planet uh, loves Beyonce. And, it, you know, but she didn't make it through Star Search. So what does Ed McMahon know? Ed McMahon's a dick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the lesson dead right here. Dick. He's a dead dick. <laughs> there you go. Uh oh, I think it's time for a joke. Wait a minute. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. Hi, and Carrie. I love Nick's show. All right. Okay. My dad uh, is here to tell a joke. You ready for a joke, Esmeralda? Yeah, for sure. There you go. Oh, it's the best part of the week, baby. 
It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. All right. All right. All right. Uh, all right, Dad, you can help me. Uh, I'll tilt my head back while you tell a joke because I'm still bleeding. <laughs> there you go. All right, Dad, you tell a joke, and if I laugh too hard, I'm just going to shoot blood all over the place. Here we go. What did you get? What do you get if you caught a great hockey player with a, a sea do? Wayne Jetski. <laughs> oh, you, boy. Well, you like that one, huh? That's probably. <laughs> Oh boy. We're getting into the uh It was a jokey 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 time. Nick's dad told a joke. We'll do it again next Tuesday. What was that one uh Israel? You like that one? Yeah. They're get he's getting into the um what, do they have a name like when you change things to be names? Cause, you know, jet ski. Right. Um, Gretzky, There's, Jetski. There has yeah. to be. There has that's to be a, some name a, for that. I think that's a pun. I think that falls Is it under a pun. I think that falls under pun. Or oh, okay. I think. I think. I mean, it's wordplay for sure. Like it's. Uh, word, I mean, there you go. Well, we'll we'll go with wordplay. Yeah, word. It's it's a it's a form of in the world of comedy. That's a form of wordplay. That joke is a form of wordplay. But I think it does technically fall into the category of pun, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, pun yeah. wordplay. There it is. That's it. It was a good one. It Thank was a you. good pun yeah. wordplay. <laughs> All right, Dad, get out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, a little pun wordplay for you. All right, cool. All right, uh, all right, Esmeralda, thanks. And um, uh, we will talk to you uh, on, uh, on Friday. Yes. Uh, and we'll finish up this topic and move on to some other stuff. I know we're going to have another magic megaphone because they're all backed up. And again, if you have a magic megaphone message, that you want spoken into or played into the uh, megaphone, leave it as a voicemail or any other comments, 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs. Jim Ryan uh, will be joining us on Friday to talk about the latest um, uh, music concerts that he's seen in reviews. By the way, Esmeralda, you know, uh, last summer when you and I and Colin went to go see um, Tears for Fears at um, Mm -hmm. whatever the hell it's called in (laughs) It's changed now. again, so it is. I, I like, can tell you. It's Bank Village. It's some sort of Bank Village or some shit. Yeah. Well, he's got a nightmare story that he will share with us firsthand on Friday about how he missed three quarters of the Janet Jackson concert. Ooh. Yeah. Because, I heard the, I heard yeah. the stories. Because uh, the lot was full, and then I guess they sent him to a, to a Walmart lot, which was full, and another <laughs> lot, and they showed up, and I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding, he showed up at 10.10 10 p.m. and saw exactly four songs. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed that he even saw anything at 10.10 10 p.m. He got, oh, yeah, because, you know, I mean, it had to end at 11 because the, the, the curfew, as you know, probably, when you were working there, was it 11 o'clock curfew when you were there? Um, I forget. Yeah, but there's a curfew in Tinley Park. So, and this was not an isolated incident. There were, you know, like... A, hundreds and hundreds of people who were still filing in over three quarters of the way through the show a nightmare ridiculous yeah completely ridiculous now i will say this when you and i and colin went 
We had no issues whatsoever. We got into the parking lot. We got out of the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, we... the, yeah, and um, you'll talk about it, but I think, yeah, there was a lot more people There, yeah, at that show. I yeah. mean, it's Janet Jackson. You know what I mean? There's a big difference, but, you know, Jan- Janet Jackson, she wasn't even on Star Search. She was too big for Star Search. Right? <laughs> yeah. They also, they had given out tickets. Um They'd done some concert day or whatever the hell, and it was like discount tickets, and they're doing your packs for Janet Jackson. Isn't that Jackson. crazy? In Christ, so in crazy. that yeah. probably boosted. Well, we will get the nightmare story. He posted about it and wrote about it if, for Forbes, and uh, we'll, we'll get the firsthand <laughs> adventure of missing almost the entire Janet Jackson concert because of the yeah. ineptitude Oof. of the Bank Village, whatever it's called, in Tinley Park. I'm heading out there to see... Uh, in July, I'm heading out there with a couple of friends to see uh, Foreigner and Journey. Yeah, man! Oh, boy. Yeah, man! Yeah! yeah. 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 I saw Journey there. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I was working, you were so working. I had to. <laughs> all right, well, Jim Ryan will give us all the details on that, and uh, my thanks to Dan Feinberg for talking TV and all kinds of other cool stuff. Azraelda, you're the best. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Want to be a part of the podcast? Again, 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Jason Skaggs for the music and the sound and the themes. Be a sponsor, why don't you? Sales at radiomisfits.com. And we'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast right here, the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.